there's been times when I've stood in this spot, close to this spot, maybe a little further forward, maybe a little further back, depending on the staging of the event, that I felt like I was intruding, that I felt like I was in a holy place, that I felt like I was too close because of the feeling that was present with me. As a groom and a bride, didn't look at me, but looked at one another and proclaimed their love to one another and offered their vows to one another, exchanged rings with one another. There's a sacredness, a holiness to that joining of a Christian man and woman in holy matrimony. And as a pastor, there are times when I feel this close to heaven, and that's one of them. Because I don't marry anybody unless I do premarital counseling with them. That's at least four sessions, at least an hour and a half each time. I know them as much as they'll reveal themselves and as much as I ask questions. And they know me. And there's an intimacy that I share with them and a love and compassion as a brother in Christ I have for them to help as best I can to counsel them and prepare them for marriage based on my own experiences and failures to say, don't do it this way. Do what the Bible says. But when we come to this place, there's been times when I feel like, wow, I wish I could go hide. I don't belong here. This belongs to just these two people and I'm too close. I want to back away. When we consider where we're at today in our sermon series, an invitation to Jesus' table, And think back to just three weeks ago where we started, that Jesus invites us to come. The God of the whole universe in flesh, Jesus, the Savior and Redeemer of all of us, wants us to come meet Him at His table. That in and of itself is amazing. But Scripture warns us that we've got to prepare ourselves, that we don't want to Take of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner, an unworshipful manner, and therefore we need to carefully examine ourselves and confess our sins. Scripture warns us in particularly about restoring relationships with other persons, that we need to seek to reconcile with them. We can't make them reconcile, but we can seek to. But we certainly, on our side, need to forgive them if they've sinned or offended us. And then we come to this idea of renewing our love with Jesus. Our point this morning is to look at four different passages of Scripture and to consider how we know that God loves us and how we should respond to His love in order that we are ready for next Sunday. You see, so many times when we come to a regular worship service, we come and we sit in our normal pews and we sing the songs that Myra and the praise team lead us in and we listen to what Pastor Aaron says and maybe we go home and we're like, oh, that was good or I learned something there. But it becomes rote, normal. Yet when we come to observe the Lord's Supper, well, if you've been around a while, it's a little rote, it's a little normal. Pastor Aaron kind of does it the same way each time. I sit in the same way. I might even have the same deacon hand me the tray as I did last time and it feels kind of the same. But friends, it shouldn't feel the same. 
When we come to receive the Lord's Supper, it should feel like I feel when I'm here and there's a bride, or excuse me, a bride and a groom. And it feels sacred. It feels other. It feels holy. And it feels like, oh my word, I don't need to be here. I'm not worthy of this to be present in this place. That's why I wanted to focus on Jesus' table and his invitation to us. Because he invites us to worship him in a different way, a tangible way in which we participate in the elements. And the elements aren't just merely symbolic, they're profoundly symbolic of the blood that he shed for us, the body that he broke for us, to pay the penalty for our sins, to give us abundant and eternal life. And so we come to focus today on renewing our love for him. Our scripture memory verse of the month reminds us of our love for him and our love for others. And I want you to say that with me. 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 1 John 3.16. Let's pray. Our Father, as we come this morning and we consider your love for us through Jesus, may it not just be an academic lesson, but by your Holy Spirit, would you search our hearts and reveal to us what we need to confess, where we need to repent, how we need to change, where we need accountability and encouragement in order that we might love you more like you desire. So God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you're going to teach us today. But thank you most of all for Jesus and the way he demonstrated your love to us. It's in his holy name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Well, the first point on your outline this morning is spending time with Jesus. Spending time with Jesus. And if you've uh, got your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Now, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew back in front of you. And uh, we'll give you a little bit of time to find that. But Luke, the third gospel, chapter 24, the last chapter of Luke. In Luke chapter 24, we're going to begin reading here in just a moment. If you don't have a, if you have a smartphone or a, an iPad, remember you can always use uh, any Bible app you want, but the Bible app called YouVersion, Y-O-U, version, that one you can even follow along live with our sermon outlines. Chris Dejabay gets that ready for us week in, week out, and you can, uh, and the blanks are still filled in, right, Chris? So, yeah, you don't even have to fill in blanks on that one. But you can take notes, you can tweet from it, anything you want to do, or share it on social media, not just Twitter, but any social media. But we focus on this idea of spending time with Jesus, and we read in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. So Jesus has died, he rose again, and now he appears, one of his post-resurrection appearances, and we'll let Scripture tell the story instead of me. Now that same day, two of them, disciples, were on their way to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed the things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. 
Now, why were they kept for recognizing him? I don't know. You can take it up with God when you get to heaven. But I think the reveal happens momentarily, and I think that's why they're kept from recognizing him at this point. He asked them, so Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Like any good professor or asker of questions, he knows the answer already, but he's asking them to see what they say. They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth. So this is Cleopas telling Jesus, who he doesn't know is Jesus, what's going on. They replied, He was a prophet, a powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But he, uh, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more... It is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came out and told us they had seen visions of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but when they did not see, but him they did not see. Verse 25. He, Jesus, said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And he began with Moses and all the prophets. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I'm sure some of you are like me. You wish you could have Jesus go back and kind of connect the whole story for you. Just a few minutes, you know. 20, 30 minutes with Jesus, and it all makes sense. Well, let's go on, verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then... Their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen as appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. What an amazing story. We're not going to take time to exposit every verse of that now. We'll get to that in our following Jesus Sermon series sometime in the future. But today, just note with me a few things about this story. We're talking about spending time with Jesus. And what we have is two guys walking down the road. Didn't have donkeys, didn't have chariots, didn't have cars, didn't have anything else. They're walking about seven miles away. How long would it take them? A couple hours, I guess. And they're walking down the road. And what does it say in verse 15? As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. That word with. Circle that word with on your uh, outline, spending time with Jesus. Jesus came along and walked with them. It says in verse 15, and they spent that time with Jesus. 
They talked to him about what they knew. They asked him questions. He told him what they knew. There was a conversation that they had with Jesus. And when it came time for him to teach, they listened, which begs a question for us. Friends, when we're spending time with Jesus, how many of us, our time with Jesus goes something like this? Okay, Lord, I need this, this, and this, and this. I would really like it if you did this and change this. And uh, God, um, yeah, thanks for all those things you did for me, God. Amen. But what do we learn from the disciples here on the walk to Emmaus? They said, Jesus, teach us. And they listened as he taught. And he explained scripture to them. God's given us the Holy Spirit. So that if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And the Holy Spirit reveals God's Word to you, illuminates understanding for you. And so when you read Scripture, all you have to do is say, God, will you teach me by the Holy Spirit right now as I read? And shut up and listen. Stop talking. Stop thinking about yourself. And listen. Spend time with Jesus through His Word. Notice they were having such a good time with Jesus that even though it seemed like he was going to go on to another village down the road, they said, hey, spend some more time with me. Maybe we could learn from that as well. They spent time with Jesus. They listened to Jesus, but they also spent a little more time with him. They didn't go quickly. So how do you spend time with Jesus? You read your Bible. You pray. You write things down in a journal or write notes to yourself. You can meditate on Scripture. I'm not talking about mystical Eastern meditation. I'm talking about you chewing on one piece of Scripture again and again and thinking it through. You memorize Scripture. All these other spiritual disciplines you can do like fasting and taking a personal retreat, taking time away to focus on what God says through His Word so He can speak to you today. But here's the keys, two words intentionality and focus. Intentionality and focus. You might write that down. Intentionality and focus, and here's a third one for you, is mindfulness. It's you focusing your mind's attention and your heart's affection, that's worship, on Jesus so that you might hear from Him. And as you hear from Him, or you spend time with Him, you will hear from Him. So you've got a statement there. If it's difficult to spend time with Jesus, excuse me, a question, what could that reveal about my love relationship with him? Um, Most of us don't have problems spending time with someone or doing something we love, do we? You get us talking about our hobbies, you get us talking about our families, you get us talking about our friends, we're all there. You get us talking about something we don't care about, we're like, okay, I know I need to listen and be respectful to this person, but mm, this isn't my thing. If it's difficult for you to spend time with Jesus, then I think that reveals something about your love relationship with Him, that you need to consider, is there something in the middle of your relationship? Is there some unconfessed sin? Is there something that's hindering your relationship with Jesus? 
Your next statement says, my time with Jesus is a sign of my love for Jesus. My time with Jesus, there's that word again, you can circle it, is a sign of my love for Jesus. You can circle the word for this time as well. My time with Jesus is a sign of my love for Jesus. And friends, I'm not saying this in any way to scold you, but to shine some light on this. We need to go ahead and learn a little bit more. So if our first point this morning was about spending time with Jesus, the second point this morning is obeying God. Obeying God. So you're in the Gospel of Luke. I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 14. So turn a few pages to John chapter 14. In John 14, the next gospel to your right in your Bibles, we hear a few lines or words about obeying God. Jesus says in verse 23 of John 14, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he will come to him, and, excuse me, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Jesus says, I'm obeying God by teaching you these things, but I'm telling you, your obedience demonstrates your love. Your obedience demonstrates your love. Look at verse 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Friends, if you feel like you're not getting through to Jesus, if you feel like you can't hear him when you pray, if you feel like he's not speaking to you when you read Scripture, you need to ask yourself this question. Am I obeying everything he's revealed to me? Scripture tells you right there in John 14, 21, if you aren't obeying what he's revealed to you, he's not going to speak to you, at least not clearly, at least not frequently. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. That means reveal, uncover. That's that Greek word there. So your question is, if I struggle to obey God, what could that reveal about my love relationship with Him. If you struggle to obey, maybe you're struggling to love. Maybe you haven't considered fully what God has done for you. Maybe you're so caught up in self, you don't realize your own sin. If you're struggling to obey, your obedience problem demonstrates a love problem. And so what I would tell you to do is spend time with God asking Him to show you how He loves you in order that your heart might be broken so that you can demonstrate your love to Him by your obedience to Him. So many of us slog through thinking, oh, I've got to obey God. And it's so hard because we're trying on our own. If we would ask God to fill us with love for Him, then the obedience for Him will come more naturally because it will be supernatural. God's Spirit working through us. Your point under your second point there, your second point under this is that my obedience to God is a sign of my love for God. My obedience to God is a sign of my love of God. 
Obedience is the evidence of love. Obedience is the evidence of love. Just like a parent says to a child sometimes, just trust me. Do what I say. Obey what I've asked. I can't tell you why right now, but just trust me. It's because I love you. As parents, we put boundaries on our children to protect them. God puts boundaries on us to protect us. And our obedience is a sign of our love for God. It's evidence. It's proof. When we obey Him, we demonstrate we love Him. If we have a hard time obeying Him, it demonstrates we've got a problem with our love for Him. So when we're focusing on this idea of renewing our love today, 1 John 3.24, Scripture just before our Scripture, or after our Scripture memory verse for the month says, Whoever keeps His commands abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. I tell you 1 John 3.24 so you might write it down because it's a key to help you remember. You, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have His Holy Spirit within you and you ask His Holy Spirit to help you obey. You ask His Holy Spirit to grow your love and that will make it easier to obey. So we've talked about this morning spending time with Jesus and obeying Jesus. Now, your third point in this morning's sermon is that we are forgiven by God. Because up until now, you might be going, well, yeah, Pastor Aaron, you're just telling me stuff to do because you're the pastor and it's what you're supposed to do and I'm still not digging it. Um, Let's think about what God has done for us. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36 through 50. Luke chapter 7 verses 36 through 50. We have an amazing story that we see acted out on this very stage by friends of ours in this day of resurrection. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in a town learned that Jesus, in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. This amazing scene of sacrifice and love. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Can you hear Larry Zimmerman saying that? (laughs) Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other owed 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. 
You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Everybody say forgiven. Forgiven. For she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. Then the other guests began to say it among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You all know that in our four Gospels, there are countless stories about Jesus. And I love the beauty of the way that Silvana wrote the script to this day of resurrection, straight from Scripture, but that she picked certain stories to show us of Jesus' love and compassion for children, for women, for the sick, for the neglected, for the downtrodden. Consistent with Jesus' character, and this story among them, to demonstrate God's forgiveness. Friends, your sins have been forgiven if you've asked by God. So you've got a question there that asks, when I consider my son sin, how much does Jesus forgive me? It's kind of a trick question. When I consider my sin, how much did Jesus forgive me? Think about the passage of Scripture that we just read. Because she had been forgiven much, she loved much, Jesus says. How much have you been forgiven? You've not been forgiven for some of your sins. You've not been forgiven for a couple of your sins. You've not been forgiven for a few of your sins. You've not even been forgiven for many of your sins. Friends, you have been forgiven for all of your sins. Everybody say all. All. All means all. All of your sins have been forgiven. Does not that change the way you feel about God? When you think about everything you've ever done and how you wouldn't want the rest of us in this room to know about it, or your spouse, or your grandma, or your mama, or your best friend, but God knows it all and He has forgiven us all. I love what Danny Aiken said. The church is not full of good people. The church is full of forgiven people. Amen? I'm not better than anyone, but I do know this. I have been forgiven. I've been forgiven. And as Dr. James Merritt said, if sin is our greatest problem, then forgiveness is our greatest need. And God has forgiven us by His great love for me, for you, for everyone. You've got a statement there under that point that says, Jesus, forgiveness of my sins is absolute and free. It's absolute and total and it's absolutely free. There's nothing you can do to earn it or deserve it. God loves you and Jesus forgives you and it is complete. So stop trying so hard on your own. Stop running so fast from Jesus. And surrender to the love He's given you that He demonstrates by His forgiveness for you. 
Psalm 130 verse 4 says of God, Psalm 134, But with you there is forgiveness, so that you may be revered. Because God forgives us, we worship and revere Him. He doesn't hold our sins against us in spite of our sins. Because our sins, He gave His one and only Son, Jesus, to sacrifice Himself for us. Because there is forgiveness, we revere Him. So now that we have this key of forgiveness, now that we have our love for Jesus strengthened because we consider His forgiveness for us, let's move on to our fourth and final point. And this is us turning the corner, knowing that we've been forgiven by God. This is living for Jesus. Living for Jesus. If you haven't already, please join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. For Christ's love compels us. So because He loves us, we're compelled. What are we compelled to? Because we are convinced that one died for all. Jesus died for all, and therefore all died. We died to our sins. And He, Jesus, died for all, that those who live, that's us, should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. This is a fancy Pauline way of saying, because Jesus died for us, He set us free that we might live for Him. That's what it's saying. Because of His love for us, because of His forgiveness of us, because of the fact that He had His body broken and His blood shed for us, we can live for Him. So here's your question. Knowing I have been completely forgiven, how do I live for Jesus? How's it looking for you right now? Knowing you've been forgiven, how do you live for Him? What does your life look like? What is the evidence? What is the demonstration that you are living for Him? Not just the cross on your neck or the Jesus fish on your car or the station you listen to on your radio, but the words that come out of your mouth, the actions that you do. How do you live for Jesus? And knowing His love for you, knowing His forgiveness of you, Are you willing to be changed by Him? Your last blanks on your outline says that Jesus' love for me motivates my love for others. Jesus' love for me motivates my love for others. Like our scripture memory verse of the month, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers And sisters, isn't it amazing when we consider who we are and what we've done, all the sins we've ever committed and will commit, that Jesus, God's own Son, loves us, forgives us, and sets us free. Not only does He set us free from the penalty of our sins, mercy, but He gives us abundant and eternal life grace, the Holy Spirit to live with us, a body of believers to join with us, and a mission to share this gospel message with the world. 
I don't know about you, but that helps renew my love for Jesus to prepare my heart to receive the Lord's Supper next week as we gather together right here. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so very thankful of who you are and what you've done and the way that because of our sins, you loved us and set us free from the penalty of our sins. And not just for ourselves, but for others, that we might share this message of redemption and forgiveness, of mercy and grace with others we know. Father, we pray if there's anyone here today who's never trusted Christ as their Savior, that they would accept His free gift of grace now. They confess their sins, repent and turn from those, and confess Jesus as their Savior and Lord. God, for those of us who are believers in Jesus, but maybe we've allowed some sin to get in the way, may this be the day that we seek to say yes. I'm going to renew my love with Jesus. I'll confess my sins, turn from those things, and follow Him afresh, filled with His Spirit and with His love. And Father, for those of us that are believers in Jesus, may we be motivated to tell others of that love, to invite them to join us in this day of resurrection, to invite them to join us Easter Sunday, but have conversations that share the grace of the gospel with them day in and day out, we pray. It's in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.